The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. I'd like to take uh, the opportunity to invite you now to open up God's Word with me to Psalm 136. Uh, as I said, we have a Thanksgiving-themed service, and so our uh, standalone opportunity to, to take a moment to consider the theme of thankfulness and gratitude and, and all the rest. We're turning to Psalm 136. So uh, you can always find the book of Psalms by parting the book in the middle, usually, and uh, arriving to Psalm 136. Otherwise, it's on page 520 of a Bible in the rack. Uh, but do grab a Bible and open up there. Uh, Psalm 136, you can see the title, His Steadfast Love Endures Forever. This psalm is known in the Jewish tradition, and the book of Psalms is like the hymn book for the Jewish faith, uh, where we have a hymnal. The hymnal of the Jewish tradition would be the book of Psalms. Uh, but this particular psalm is called the Great Hallel. Uh, and in Hebrew, that word Hallel, you have the root of our word Hallelujah. And the word hallelujah means to praise God. Hallel, which means praise, and Yahweh, hallel, Yahweh, hallelujah, is praise God. So Psalm 136 is all about that reality of praising God. So Psalm 136 is a psalm recounting and remembering the reasons that the people of God have to praise their God. The reasons of God's faithfulness that lead them to praise Him. And of course, the season of Thanksgiving is for that very same thing. And I would venture to guess that whether uh, your family celebrates Thanksgiving on Thursday or you have many different family Thanksgivings that you go to perhaps as early as today or whenever you do, I'm sure you have some sort of varied traditions around the table or something that you do. Um, if you don't presently have a tradition and you like to consider one, it's a wonderful thing to perhaps read a psalm from the Scriptures uh, before you eat together or perhaps after you eat together. And maybe your family can choose Psalm 136 this year to, to try that. But well, when I was growing up, my family would always go to Thanksgiving celebrations on the East Coast where uh, my extended family was from. And we had this tradition to um, write down on pieces of paper the things that we were thankful for, uh, not put our names on them, and then anonymously place these slips of paper in a big jar that would then get passed around after the meal. And people would pick out and read other people's thankfulness, but you would do so anonymously. And the whole big thing was always that people would try to say, oh, I think that's yours or yours. And most of the time they were really just kind of joking around, not, not too serious. But the thought of that whole uh, reality, and even though it was a family tradition and it had some laughs, the, the thought of giving thanks anonymously never really sat well with me. It didn't seem to make sense to, to issue a declaration of what you're thankful for, but not affix your name to the thankfulness in such a way that, you know, you say, just generally, this is what I'm thankful for without identification. But as believers in Christ, we understand that to be true, don't we? That our thankfulness is not something that we should be ashamed to acknowledge. In fact, so much so we should not be ashamed, that we should not be ashamed to declare what we are thankful for very clearly, but also to whom we are thankful. That is the key point, isn't it? Because for many people, it's easy to say what they are thankful for. It's easy to identify a reality, a thing, a person that they are thankful for. But the real issue is asking the question, to whom is thankfulness directed? And it is just at this point that the self-avowed atheists, which actually don't exist, or the agnostics, find themselves in a real existential crisis. What do you do when you feel thankful and you don't know what to do with it? 
You don't know to whom to direct it. You might try to assign you know, some other earthly reality or metaphysical substance, right? But you don't know to whom your thankfulness is intended to be ultimately directed. When you feel overwhelmingly thankful and you don't believe in God, what do you do? That's why Thanksgiving focuses the attention of our lives not just on gifts, but on the gift giver. So says the book of James in James 1.17 that every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heaven who does not change like sifting shadows. And so because we want to declare not just what we are thankful for, but to whom our gratitude is directed, Psalm 136 helps us with this greatly because it brings our attention to the God of all grace and provision and especially the God of steadfast love. So if you're scanning Psalm 136 briefly, you'll notice that in these 26 verses, the same refrain is repeated again and again and again, likely because it would have been used congregationally. Now, I'm not going to bind your conscience, but if in my reading of the Scriptures you would like to join the refrain for His steadfast love and George forever, you're welcome to do so. You don't have to do so, but you're welcome to do so because it's going to ring like a drum. And the real challenge with things like this happen is when you say something so much and so frequently, it starts to lose its meaning, doesn't it? Like when you say one word over and over and over, that word begins to sound ridiculous. Tree. Tree, 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 tree. When you repeat things, there's a potentiality for you to lose the significance of it. But Psalm 136 is given so that the people of God might have within their mouth the substance of God's praise for His steadfast love. And so let me pray, and then I will read, and if you'd like to join in the refrain, you're welcome to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we turn now to Your Word, because Your Word is the source and the substance of Your divine revelation to us, that we might know who You are. Lord, You give us Your Word not to confuse us, not to send us into ignorance, but rather that by Your Holy Spirit You might illuminate all that is dark within us, that we might live in Your marvelous light. And so, Father, come now by Your Holy Spirit in the power of Your Word to reveal Your truth to us that we might be a thankful people, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hear now the Word of God. Psalm 136, His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who alone does great wonders, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who by understanding made the heavens, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who spread out the earth above the waters, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who made the great lights, for His steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for His steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for His steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for His steadfast love endures forever. 
with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who divided the Red Sea in two, for His steadfast love endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for His steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who led His people through the wilderness, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who struck down great kings, for His steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, for His steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for His steadfast love endures forever. And Oj, king of Bashan, for His steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for His steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel His servant, for His steadfast love endures forever. It is He who remembered us in our lowest state, for His steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for His steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for His steadfast love endures forever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. So do keep your Bible open here in Psalm 136. So, uh, when you find yourself asked the question this week, to what are you thankful for? This psalm, of course, gives us words of thankfulness because it is, as I said, the great Hallel, the psalm of thanksgiving. You'll note four different times the call. Verse 1, Verse 2, verse 3, book ended, verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven. Give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the God of gods, give thanks to the Lord of lords, give thanks to the God of heaven, give thanks. And of course, that is because we know that it is to God alone that we are to give our praise and our worship, and especially here, our thanks. And that is the focus of this repeated theme, like again, this constant drumbeat and rhythm for His steadfast love endures forever. So what we are drawn into in Psalm 136 is that the reality of our praise and the reality of our gratitude and the reality of our worship is drawn out to God for His unending, steadfast, sure love. Giving thanks for God's love. Now that's a constant theme of Scripture, isn't it? The love of God. And it is one that... We delight in the love of God. We memorize it in some of our favorite passages like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Or perhaps even larger in Romans 8 when Paul asked the question, What shall ever separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or famine or distress or nakedness or sword? He says, No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither height nor depth nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to pass, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the New Testament's way of saying what Psalm 136 says 26 times when it says, His steadfast love endures forever. This characteristic of steadfast love that nothing can break the grip of His love towards you in Jesus Christ Nothing can remove you from the hope that you have in Christ. And so to prove that, 
or so to remind us of this great truth, Psalm 136 shows us four different demonstrations of God's love toward us, which are His steadfast covenantal faithfulness that remind us of these truths. So the four demonstrations that we're going to see here, and you've got something of an outline there in your bulletin, we're going to see the source of God's love, the evidence of God's love, the action of God's love, and the assurance of God's love, as Psalm 136 invites us to take a closer look at God's steadfast love and the motivating reality that we have to express not just thankfulness generally, but thankfulness specifically to the God of steadfast love. And when we do that, when we see that, we're going to see that the first thing is, is that the source of God's love, and asking the question, where does God's love come from? Why is it that God loves? Why is it that God expresses His steadfast love? The psalmist's answer to the question of the source of God's love is that God's love comes from Himself. The source of God's love is God's own being, God's character. His being, His character, is the source of His love. God's being, His character. We see that there in the first three verses. Look again there at verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for what reason? Because He is good. He Himself is the focus there. For His steadfast love endures forever. His goodness. God's goodness stands behind His love. The fact that He is pure and holy in His goodness manifests His love. The source of God's love is His own being and His own character because He Himself is good. He has steadfast love. You see it also there in verse 2. It's because He is the God of gods. He is utterly unique. There is no God like Him. There are many false gods that we call idols of the world, but there is only one true and living eternal God who reigns over all things supreme. This is the God who is altogether good, altogether unique. That God who is altogether good, altogether unique, loves us. But His utter uniqueness and His sincere goodness are the source of His love, His own being, His own character. His praise is inexhaustible. So the psalmist continues there in verse 3, give thanks to not only the Lord, not only the God of gods, but in verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords. The one whose throne and dominion is exercised above all other thrones and dominions. Because there are other authorities and rulers in the world. There are other kings and kingdoms. But it is this King and this Lord who reigns over all things who manifests His steadfast love. This God who sits upon heaven's throne, ruling all things as the sovereign Lord, working out all things to His intended purposes, to the glory of His name and to the good of those who love Him. This God, this King, is the one who has steadfast love toward us. And also the book end there in verse 26, Give thanks to the God of heaven. This lifts up His transcendence. There's none like Him. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being. The Catechism says, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. This God is what the psalm is saying. Not any God in general, but this God in particular. And this matters because when you say thanks be to God, you've got to know what God? What is that God like? And the psalmist is saying, 
The very source of His infinite steadfast love is from His very being, who He is. That we are thankful to our God, who is always perfectly good, completely unique, unrivaled in lordship, and incomparably transcendent. When we say thanks be to God, we mean this God. This God, the God of the covenant, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in His unfailing and steadfast love has loved you and sent His Son for you, marking you as a child of His forever. These are the everlasting arms that hold us up. His love will never fail, falter, perish, or fade away. God's love emanates, flows from, descends from His very being. Do you see why this matters? God loves not because His love is a response to something that we do, but because His love emanates and flows from His very being. Why does God love? Because it is His nature. God doesn't love you because of something in you. He loves you because of everything that is within Him. That's good news. That's wonderful news because His being is a being that doesn't change. Yours is. Mine is. If God's love were based on something within us, then it would have motivation for shifting or change. But if the source of God's love is its own being, then it is secure because it emanates from His very being. The same God who loves us. Unshakable. That's just the beginning. But secondly... In addition to the source of God's love being His own being, we're pointing to the evidence of His love in verses 4 to 9. And there in verses 4 to 9, the psalmist goes on to say that the evidence of God's love is God's creation. God's creation. So if you've ever asked the question, how do I know that God exists? Or perhaps if in interesting conversation with a friend, neighbor, co-worker, did you believe in God? Yes or no? Why or why not? These are a very interesting thing to go to here is what the psalmist is directing because the psalmist says to you, if you want to know that God exists, open up your eyes. Look around you. Take a glance, would you, for just a moment to know whether or not God exists. As the great reformer John Calvin says, creation is like the theater of God's glory. And Psalm 136 says, not only is it the theater of His glory, but it's the theater of His love in verses 4 to 9. Romans 1, Paul says that creation plainly testifies to a creator and one of the great sins of humanity is the sin of unbelief that in its arrogance looks at the world that God has made, takes delight in it, says, wow, that's beautiful, and then turns and says, I don't believe in God. It is one of the great sins of humanity, unbelief, that concludes after looking at the creation, God does not exist. Because creation is a very clear message. Again, in verses 4 to 9, creation reveals the love of God. Verse 4 says, He alone does great wonders. And then you have this incredible list, don't you? 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. That He by understanding made the heavens. That He spread out the earth above the waters. Verse 7, He made the great lights. Verse 8, the sun to rule the day. Verse 9, the moon and stars to rule over the night. The psalmist is saying, take a look, would you? Just for a moment, look around. See the work of God's hands, that in His wisdom and in His power on display in creation, the beauty that has been inscribed in the craftsmanship of creation is a small picture of the greater reality of His 
the refrain, steadfast love on display when you look around you. The psalmist says, take a look at these things because they reveal God's steadfast love. So we look at creation and we should have within us this tremendous swell of thankfulness for God's love on display as we open up our eyes. That the God who made the world merely by speaking, who formed the world not from pre-existing materials, but simply by the word of His power, spoke and things came into being. It is that God who in His inexpressible, infinite, sovereign power made the world that way. That God loves you. Because that display of creation, that evidence of creation, is the evidence of God's love for you. It is the same God who loves us with a steadfast love. So we've seen how God's being is the source of His love. His creation is the evidence of His love. And then there in verse 10 through 22, you find then the action of God's love. The action of God's love. And the action of God's love is God's redemption. That's the third point there. God's redemption. What the psalmist goes on to do from verses 10 through verse 22 is explain this picture of really the history of the Old Testament. And there, in verses 10 through 22, you have two major themes of the Old Testament exalted and lifted up as a demonstration of God's love, the, the action of God's love. First, you have in verses 10 through 16 the picture of the Exodus, where Israel is delivered from Egypt, passed through a divided Red Sea, saved from Pharaoh's army. And then in verses 17 through 22, the conquest of the Promised Land, God giving His people a home. It's a picture of how God both delivers from slavery and then provides rest and a homeland. And this parallel of deliverance and provision, deliverance from slavery, providing rest, deliverance from Egypt, being led into the promised land, it points to the great picture of how Jesus Christ provides for us our exodus from the slavery of sin into the spiritual homeland of the new heavens and new earth which we receive. This parallel of deliverance and provision is the parallel of the Gospel itself where Christ redeems us and provides us a home. As Paul says in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How do you know that God loves you? He gave His Son for you. And so the evidence and the action here specifically is God's redemption, the sending of Jesus Christ. And all of that is a reflection of His steadfast love supremely pictured in our redemption. At Thanksgiving, if you've got nothing else but on the top of your mind, maybe you could be thankful for the Gospel. That God loves you apart from your own self. And that He does not look upon your deeds, but rather looks upon His Son who has died in your place and been raised so that you can be declared not guilty in Him. In the Gospel, God declares His steadfast love that endures forever because greater than our sin is His mercy. His steadfast love endures forever. The action in our redemption. The source is God's being. The evidence is God's creation. The action is God's redemption. And if that's not enough, God, there's another reason here. The fourth thing that's added. Finally, in verses 23-26, to 26, you have the assurance of His love in God's providence. His providence. 
Now, what we've just been pointing back to particularly is specific moments in history where God displays the action of His love and redemption. But here we're thinking about not just particular grand moments, but the rest of this psalm, verse 23 through 26, focuses on everyday moments. Moments that seem to maybe pass us by or that we don't give much thought to. God shows His love in moment by moment as we're thinking about being sustained by God's unfailing grace and steadfast love and His wise providence that assures you of His love. Look again at verse 23. The psalmist says, He remembers us. He remembers. Remember how Jesus expresses the love of the Father in His providence and saying that the Father cares for the, the, the birds of the field, the birds of the air. He cares for you. He remembers you. He's mindful of you. And so this remembrance, this divine remembrance, is a reference to God's providence whereby He orders the affairs of our lives and remembers us, but not just in all things, but especially in verse 23, He remembers us even, the psalmist says, verse 23, even in our lowest states. He has never and cannot forget us. Now it's especially because when we are in our lowest states that we are most tempted to think, I've been abandoned. God has abandoned me and forgotten me and turned His eye from me. The psalmist puts in our mouth this praise that He remembers us even in our lowest states. So just, just a moment to say that if you can think about your year since last Thanksgiving and the moments that have come and gone for you, it may have been the case that there were moments of low estate. But call to mind the ways in which you have also been rescued. Verse 24, see how God has been patient and tender with you. How He has heard your voice when you cried out to Him. Who when you were in the valley of the shadow of death, perhaps with a loved one, and He ushered your loved one from one shore to the next, He revealed His steadfast love to you in those moments as He was present to you. Not only those moments, but in everyday moments. The fact that our children go out the door and come back in the door. That they go to school and come home. That they go out to their activities and come back. The fact that if we're blessed to still have our parents in our life, that they come in and come out of our homes and come in and around our tables and these everyday moment-by-moment realities that reveal God's providence in such a way that His love is being manifest to us as He remembers us and when we need it in our lowest states, rescues us, revealing His steadfast love and delivering us. He's faithful moment-by-moment in the moments that we mark by darkness and in the moments that we pass by and don't mark at all. His steadfast love endures forever in all of those things. The psalmist says he's been gracious and kind, faithful. And because it's hard not to think about it, verse 25, he gives food, right? He gives food. And you know, oftentimes, especially in our community, uh, we tend to roll our eyes at people who are ignorant about agriculture, people who think that bacon just appears on a shelf out of nowhere, right? Right? who don't know what it takes to make the grain come out of the field so that we can have all manner of goods for the world to operate. We tend to roll our eyes at people like that. But worse 
than ignorance over agricultural and economic processes is spiritual ignorance to not know that although God, by way of His providence, uses the instrumentality of the farmer for which we are immeasurably grateful, it is ultimately God Himself who provides for all people food, so says verse 25. All of our thanks is ultimately to God for His bounty. And as you gather for your meals this week, it is God who has provided this and all things to you. So, in this wonderful psalm, we see this refrain to the enduring, steadfast love of God. We've seen that His being is the source of that love, that creation is the evidence of that love, that redemption is the action of that love, and His providence, His daily care, is the assurance of this love. So ask yourself again, have I anything to be thankful for? Christians should have a corner on the market of thankfulness, shouldn't we? We know what it means to be thankful. It almost leaves us speechless. Is your heart marked and characterized by gratitude to God for all that He has done? If you need one more reason, Paul asks this question in 1 Corinthians 4. He says this, What is it that you have that you have not been given? What do you have that you haven't been given? Which is his way of saying, loved one, everything that you have is all gift. It's all of grace. It's all of mercy. From who? The steadfast love of the God who has both saved you, delivered you, is redeeming you and sanctifying you and assuring you of His great love. So because it is all a gift, the response should never be, Lord, tally up that bill so I know how much I owe you. Right? The response of thankfulness to a gift given isn't, let me get you back. It is a heart that overflows with praise and gratitude, knowing, Lord, I could never repay you for all that you have done for me. So rather than attempt to, in foolishness, repay you, let me simply praise you for all of it. And Christian believers know this. Loved ones, let us magnify God with thanksgiving. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice for these and many things and pray now that our hearts would overflow for your steadfast love does indeed endure forever. Bless your word to your people now, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.